welcome to another NL Full-Time Podcast. I'm Rob Worrell and we've got a packed show for you today. We've got two special guests. We've got loads of audio and uh, so we've got a lot to uh, to cram in. Uh, we've got a regular, a semi-regular and a debutant on the show. So we'll start with our regular, uh, clocking up the most appearances this season on NL Full-Time, uh, Dickie Wharton. Good afternoon, Dickie. Yeah, good afternoon. Probably, probably uh, in advance of taking uh, a, a few more breaks from it next year. But yeah, we all know about that well enough, I think. We do know about that. Um, and uh, now I'm going to call him semi-regular because I reckon it must be his fifth or his sixth appearance on this podcast. He's been on at least once a season the last five years anyway, that's for sure. Uh, a very warm welcome to Bromley's Callum Reynolds. Good afternoon. Good to see you, Callum, and congratulations on uh, Bromley making the playoffs. More of that to come. Uh, and we've a debutant, but not a debutant on podcast, because I know she's on at least two others. Uh, great to be joined for the first time by uh, BBC commentator Flo Pollock. Hi, Flo. Afternoon, everybody. Great to be here. Um, I've been doing IKEA wardrobes all day, so I'm happy to be stopping the DIY and just chatting football now. <laughs> That's all right. We'll give about 35 minutes. You can get back to the flat packs. All, no. right. all right. Where to start? It's, it's been an exciting week. We're not going to go over everything that happened in midweek, but we have to start at the very top. Um, and finally, after 15 years in the National League, Wrexham have made it back to the English Football League. Everybody will know that by now, of course. They just needed to win their game on Sunday against Borehamwood, which is easier said than done, particularly when you go a goal down in the first minute to Lee and Love, but uh, Wrexham got it done and two really, really classy goals from Paul Mullin were the difference in the end. Classy in the way he set them up for himself, classy in the way he finished them and classy in the way he beat a goalkeeper like Nathan Ashmore. Callum, you must have seen the goals by now. Uh, What an achievement for Mullin and for Wrexham. Yeah, I... Yeah, I couldn't help but tune in once I got I got in. Um, so I caught the second half. Um, once the season's kind of finished in recent years, anyway, I, I do try like I switch off from football, but I can't help but watch the playoffs because there's always a bit of jealousy. Obviously, I want to be in those positions. Um, and yeah, you want to see you want to see enjoying the celebrations. They've won the league. Um, it's mad, like. It's, Notts County must be gutted, especially the year they've had. I don't know what other records are for other years, but unless there was one time where another team's had an unbelievable season, I reckon their points total probably wins the league every year. It certainly <laughs> does, Callum. 105 points was the record, and obviously Wrexham got their first and broke that, and they broke it again um, at the weekend. Notts County uh, are going to finish with at least 106, if not... 107 or 109 points and uh, yeah it will it will it will be a record it is bonkers it is crazy hopefully we've debated it plenty we want we demand three up three down and I think this season you know only strengthens that um Flo we've not had you on before uh, a chance for you just to um give your opinion on on the whole Wrexham story um on Paul Mullins uh, I mean, 47 goals in all competitions and so many of them he's, car- he's carved out for himself as well. Yeah, I, I know some 
fans of some National League sides get a bit fed up with, with the Wrexham story. And I do get it. Um, like Woking, for example, are flying without all this money behind them. So I do get it. But I, I think it's great, you know. Like, I think, who do you want to invest in football clubs? Do you want it to be oil states and conglomerate capitalists or Hollywood celebrities? I think, I think it's a nice story. I think it's good for the town. And it's brought so much publicity to the National League, like you say. And, and like, I think it really strengthens the case for three up, three down. So I think it's a great story. Um, and yeah, I also have not been able to stop myself from tuning in as well. Yeah, it's got me wondering if Aldershot might now be the, the side that have been in the National League the longest. I'll have to check that one out. But uh, um, we did have a, a, a lot of um, conversation in our WhatsApp group, the podcast uh, lads, about what we call today's podcast. We thought of drag gone. We thought of Hollywood ending, but we've decided on uh, farewell to Wrexham as the title for this week. Um Congratulations to Phil Parkinson, to uh, everybody connected with Wrexham. I must admit, on all the visits I've had there with the BBC and all their visits uh, to the EBB as well, we've always had a tremendous relationship with the club. And uh, um, as I say, I'm one of those that will never forget that the club nearly went under before and the fans themselves kept it going. Um, And so, um, you know, it's not as if just... They've just sat around and someone's turned up and, 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 you know, and invested in them. It's an amazing story. Congratulations to Wrexham. Notts County did everything they could do. They went to Maidstone and uh, won by five goals to two. And Callum, if you'd have got down the bookies yesterday at lunchtime, what odds would you have got on Jim O'Brien scoring a hat-trick for Notts County? I did see that. I had to check it was the actual O'Brien. I thought it was. <laughs> Especially, I'm sure there's been a few other hat-tricks from uh, their other players this season. Um, but I saw Maidstone brought it back to 3-2, so there probably would have been a little bit of nerves there. Especially, I don't know, it's probably Maidstone's last home game of the season, obviously, in the league. They wanted to finish on a high. And going down there on an AstroTurf pitch, uh, it's not it's not easy. But, um, yeah, it was the odds. I don't even know if the bookies would have given you odds for that, to be honest. <laughs> They'd have, they'd, they probably would have laughed you out, wouldn't they? But uh, uh, incidentally, he got two goals all season before that, so he more than doubled his tally. It was a 17th goal of another prolific season for the outstanding Ruben uh, Rodriguez. Be amiss of me not to mention your former shots colleague, George Fowler, who got that second goal for Mason, and that was his first goal of the season. Um, Dickie, just come in on knots. I mean, an outstanding effort. 106 points at least they're going to finish with. Um, and I think there's a huge wave, an outpouring, isn't there, um, uh, of neutrals, not people connected with the Bromleys and the Wokins, which we'll come to, but that, that feel that Notts County, on the back of the points total they got, it should be just as if they, if they make it through to join Wrexham. But nothing's guaranteed, is it, Dickie? No, it isn't. I mean, there's something like 25 points ahead uh, of the team in third, which, you know, you look at that and think if there is any justice, they should get promoted. Um, I, I suppose another aspect of, of the Wrexham story this year has been the fact that they've had a rivalry. It could have been a procession. Um, but I think the, the the way that Notts County have pushed them, I think it was that that, that made Wrexham go out and add the likes of Ryan Barnett, you know, at transfer deadline time, um, just to make sure. And the reason they had to do that was because Notts County were pushing them all the way. Um, 
they often say people don't remember the teams that finish second. I really hope we do in Notts County's case because they've been absolutely outstanding. They've been um, not polar opposite, but, you know, a real contrast in styles, which which proves that, you know, there isn't just one way of going about it. You know, the teams do play very differently, but they've both been equally uh, successful or almost equally as successful. Um, and I think they've been, you know, Wrexham might be the best might win the best actor award but you need a best supporting actor to make you look good and and Notts County have certainly been best supporting actors this season. Yeah it's a great point that about Ryan Barnett who's weighed in with a lot of assists and and probably even more so on that same point Ben Foster if Notts County hadn't given them the rivalry they have if they'd have been 20 points clear of anybody themselves we probably would have never seen the the cycling GK go to uh, to Wrexham but we're going to focus now on the battle for third place and the playoff positions which is precisely what we've got to do uh, two of today's guests on. Um, uh, it's advantage woking, isn't it, uh, Flo? They are still fourth behind Chesterfield, but uh, an excellent uh, 2-1 home win against uh, very much in form Gateshead um, means that Woking, with two games left, are just uh, two points behind Chesterfield. So, uh, if Woking can win the final two games, they will take that third place flow. I know you weren't commentating on the Woking game against uh, Gateshead yesterday, but I'm sure you'll have followed it closely. What was your take on that? Yeah, great win. Also, yeah, thanks, Callum, for beating Chesterfield. That was that was <laughs> great, great for us. But um, yeah, great win against Gateshead. But and Woking are in in a sense in the driving seat for third. But they've got Halifax at home on Tuesday in the last game. They're away at Solihull, so they're not. They're not too six it's not points in the bag, really, are they? They're they're really tough fixtures. And Chesterfield's last game's mate is Maidstone, I think, who is probably gonna be a bit of a penalty kick, isn't it? So Woking still have to do it, and it's so, so important, I think, for Woking to do that. Finishing third, automatic place in the semi-finals, a home time at semi-final, and you avoid Notts County to the final. So I just think it's so such a big reward if Woking can get third. So yeah. Fingers crossed. I'll be commentating on the Halifax game on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. And it remains over the line. Seen, yeah, remains to be seen who they'll play. It could well be Callum's team. We'll come to Callum and, and Bromley in, in, in just a moment. Flo, just to mention before I forget, um, I know you've appeared on other podcasts and the BBC Surrey are running one, aren't they? At least until the end of the season, just to uh, to cover the Woking story, because it is the first time that they've ever made the playoffs at this level, isn't it? And that was a surprising uh, one to me when I heard that. Yeah, yeah, we're doing a, a podcast. It's called, it's called Come On You Cards. We're doing it on Thursday. Um, it's on BBC Radio Surrey. But if you go on BBC Sounds and type in Come On You Cards, you can see it as well. And yeah, it's a massive story. First time in the playoffs. Woking got promoted to the to the Football League. That would be, in a sense, it's a, it's a bigger story than the Wrexham story. It's massive. And they've not done it by spending loads and loads of money. And they've done it playing pretty nice football, you know. I've enjoyed the, the working football this season under Darren Sarr. They've been, they've been entertaining and good to watch. So it's a great story. And yeah, I'm just really fingers crossed that Woking can just at least do a good run in the playoffs, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Two goals for Reese Brown relatively early on in that game. He's had the best season of his career. And it proved to be a really shrewd move to uh, nab... Brown from Wealdstone earlier on in the season. Uh, I think you may have heard listeners flow just thanking Callum a few moments ago. Callum, 
your side, Bromley, took on Chesterfield uh, and you got a tremendous result, didn't you? Uh, beating them by two goals to nil. Tell us a little bit about the game and, and how you secured your own playoff place yesterday. Yeah, it wasn't um, It wasn't as easy maybe as the scoreline suggests, especially the start of the game. Uh, they started really well, um, pinned us in, had a lot of sort of free kicks and corners. Um, and I was just saying to the lads, I said, look, just wear it, just wear it. Like we can defend, like soak it up. It's not going to... It's not going to be like this all game. That was after about five minutes. Then I remember saying it about six corners later, saying, come on, lads, just wear it. I looked at the clock and it was nearly 25 minutes gone. I'm thinking we can't do this for 90. But no, we hit him on the counter a few times. We knew how they like to play. Definitely a high line. And we've got the weapons to kind of hurt them with that. Um, although the opening goal was a bit of a worldie from Billy Bingham, his first goal of the season. But something he's capable of. And then we had a penalty on the stroke of half time that Cheeky missed. Um, and it kind of had a bit of Notts County at home about it. We missed the penalty against them to go 2-0 up. They ended up getting a late, uh, literally last-minute equaliser. Um, but I think the longer the game went on, the stronger we got. We frustrated them more. They ended up making changes, and we probably could have won it by more in the end. Um, so, no, definitely a confidence-boosting win. Um, and then, obviously, results went our way. So, it was effectively job done. Uh, well, part one of the job done, but I'm sure every other team that's in the playoffs as well, they're all going to be thinking the same thing. If we get in, we can win it. Um, but, yeah, like I said off off air, I'm happy that we did it. It didn't go down to the wire. To go away to Oldham, probably going to be a sellout game, and they're in good form. So, um yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that we were uh, we're in there. We were working out last time you were on how many teams you played for at this level, so we won't cover that one again. But uh, again, off air before we started recording today, I asked you how many times you'd made the playoffs. Now and we believe it's the fifth time with the third different club. Is that right or fourth? Yeah, the fifth time in this league. Once in the Conference South with Bournemouth. Once was enough to get us up, which was nice. But yeah, the fifth time in. Seven seasons, maybe. Mm. So, boy, yeah, two all shot, three, four, yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, something that I kind of pride myself on, and when I haven't made it, especially the first year at Barnet was was tough. Obviously, them coming down from the league, uh, big expectations. We had a lot of new signings, new manager that changed, and I was actually I was out of a fractured spine for about three months of that. That was frustrating that season. The second year we got him, but then COVID struck. Um, so, yeah, it's been nice to get back in. Frustrating, like I said, with two years at Dagenham with the talent that we had to not get in um, was definitely a failure uh, in on a personal note and as a team, um, if we're being honest. So, um, but no, it's been, a, it's been a good season with Bromley. Um in the middle, we hit a bit of a rocky patch, but we lost our number one keeper. We had a young lad in on loan from Arsenal. We'd never played at this level. I think he was the youngest league, uh, youngest keeper in the league. Um, and it showed in a few games. Not him making individual mistakes, but you know when you've got your number one behind you, it's a different feeling. Um, you know him. A guy, he's coming on loan from Arsenal. It's a top club and they have a style of play. Um, but no... All credit to um, Reese Charles Cook. He had a bad injury. He thought he was going to be out for about three or four months, and he got back 
about six weeks early. So credit to him, but also to the boys. I think we've worked hard and we've all always been in and around it. We've never let us drop off too far, even when we were in sort of a, a poor run of form, if you like. Absolutely. Just jumped back into those playoff positions a couple of weeks ago and weren't going to let it go. So well done. That's Woking, Barnet and Bromley all secure in the playoffs. Just the final finishing positions to be decided. It's only between Chesterfield and Woking for third. Um, and Borenwood themselves are not quite there, but we'd need something spectacular. They've got two games left. They'd need to lose them both and Southend would have to have a two-goal swing and a win in their final game. What a credit, though, um, flow to South End. the fact that they potentially could finish outside the playoffs by a point or on goal difference after everything that's gone on at that club this season. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? Often, and you see it quite a lot when you cover clubs, like there's all this stuff going on in the background. It must be so hard for players to just crack on and play football when there's all this stuff around things around wages as well, not getting paid. Right. Was that, was, I can't remember if that happened at South End this year, but yeah, they've, they've done great. And they came to um, the late recently to play Woking. I covered that one and they're a good side South End. They're a really tough side to beat and break down. They're a great club. I love going to Roots Hall as well. Actually, I really like the little kind of bowl stadium um, and the commentary position. It's nice. So yeah, credit to them. Um, they're they're a good club. They're a big club, and um, yeah, with all that going on, it's really great that they've managed to be yeah. an eighth, basically. Yeah, excellent uh, recovery from South End. They very nearly, uh, and they still could mathematically, but they very nearly become the first team probably to ever lose seven games on the trot and still nearly make um, the playoffs. Um, in the week, actually, uh, our regular host Luke Edwards caught up with Chris Phillips from the South End Echo about South End's season. So Chris, we're here at the press box at Boundary Park. Come out of the little slump they've had. They've come out the other side of it now, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. It was a tough run. I think it was just the month of March, which is yeah. uh, my birthday as well. So it's normally a good month. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, South End lost uh, seven in a row. And at that point, it really did seem as if they'd run out of steam a little bit. Um, the problems at South End are well, well documented. They haven't been able to add to their squad since September. So they've been relying on the same set of players for an awful long time. And it did just seem that that caught up with them. Um, but thankfully, from our point of view, the last couple of games, last three or four games have been a little bit more positive I think it's 10 points out of 12 um, they're coming here tonight in, in good shape and hopefully they can keep it going but I've given up predicting South End a long time ago so you're never too sure what's going to happen I'm going to get to the elephant in the room in a minute but I noticed certainly last season and they brought into this season as well the recruitment they've gone sort of from National League North and South which has been quite sensible really they've kind of cherry picked the best players for those two divisions haven't they? Yeah the recruitment's been been a lot better this year I think in in the past I think under previous regimes they were almost trying to get experienced players yeah. that without being rude to them were kind of on the, on the way down they didn't know the level and it didn't really work out so since Kevin May has come in um, the restructuring of, of that side of things has been very good John Steele plays a big part where that's concerned and there can't be too many people that know this level more than him so you're right they're bringing in young hungry players people like Oli Kensdale and, and Gus Scott Morris they've come from lower levels and, and they've been fantastic and they're young enthusiastic they're hungry and they really want to do well and from a South End perspective it's just a real shame that they haven't been able to show that more and they haven't been able to bring in more players because if they had had that opportunity I think South End would be guaranteed of the playoffs by now yeah, it's interesting, obviously, all the off-field stuff as well. I always hear Kevin Mayer, though, kind of saying he doesn't want to use it as an excuse, though, which is, I, I, I'm guessing you'll say different. It has obviously been on the players' minds, though, hasn't it, at times? 
Yeah, I think obviously the issue with players, obviously there was the concerns with the wages. So I think it was the um, January wages when they had to wait an additional 28 days to, to get paid. Um, funnily enough, it coincided with one of the better runs of the season. And once they got paid, the results started yeah. to, to get worse. But I think it just emotionally and physically was it drained everybody involved. So I think from the players' point of view, it's that the sort of payment of wages that, that's been the biggest problem. But other than that one month, they've kind of been OK. The other problems are the staff at the club behind the scenes yeah. who, who continually get paid less. So it, it is tough, and it's I thought one of those. I suppose while the players are getting paid, it's not that they're not bothered what's happening to the staff, but they'll be happy enough. Yeah, you they know. Won't think of it. They yeah. probably don't really yeah. mix with them or yeah. have that much to do with them, really. So I don't think that side of things. But it's just the embargo, and it's just been yeah. a lot of tox- toxic and a very sort of negative around the place. So it will have a knock-on effect in, in time. Um, but I think for the players themselves they'll just want to sort of finish this season on a high and see where it takes them but you worry for next season because the embargo is still in place so Southend can't sign anyone they can't open contract negotiations with a lot of their players that are out of contract yeah. likes of Jack Britch he's a star man so the problems persist and until we get a new no- owner they'll still be in place I was going to say is the light at the end of the tunnel on that front do you think or um I don't know, it's still ongoing, I think. Um, it's a tough one to, to really get to the full understanding of that. The chairman is, is adamant. I'll be honest, when he first came out and said that he was looking to sell, I kind of saw it as a way to try and for him to try and alleviate some of the pressure that was on him and to try and stop the stick that was coming in his direction. It all seemed a little bit convenient. But since then, I've been told otherwise by people on and off the record at the club that he definitely is trying to trying to get out. And it, it does need to happen. It's yeah. just it's untenable for him to remain at this football club. And for Southend to sort of and move forward he does need to, to move on you've probably seen here the, what's happened with the new owner everyone seems yeah. to be a lot more behind the club and that's what Southend need because the potential for Southend is huge there's no other clubs near us and you look at how well they've done this year with the problems that they have had imagine what it could have been like without them so we do hope um, that the future can be bright for Southend but uh, yeah you never know what's going to happen next when you follow Southend That was Chris Phillips from the Southend Echo um, Eastley just behind them. Eastley Callum were in a playoff position for quite a while, weren't they? It was yourselves that replaced them a couple of weeks ago. In the end, they've come up just short, but uh, uh, I'm sure you'd want to doff your cap to the job that Lee Bradbury's done down on the South Coast this season. Yeah, of course. There's a lot of um, a lot of change down there on and off the field. Um, I actually spoke to him a few times in the summer as well um, about a potential move down there, which uh, didn't happen in the end. Um, but... Yeah, they they just kept picking up results. Um and once you kind of string a few wins together and stay unbeaten, um it changes the picture a lot in the table. As we found out, I I don't know exactly what our form is, but we went on a really good run before um I think Wrexham defeated us at home 2-1 and since then we haven't lost. Um and we Yeah, you're the only t- it's only it's only yourselves and Halifax that haven't lost in the last six games. You won three and drawn three. Yeah, so I mean you're looking at two points a game there, which is obviously over the course of a season is good enough to get into those playoff positions. Um but yeah, I think psychologically when you can put back to back wins together, even three wins on the spin, um, it changes the picture a lot. Um and from Easter weekend was massive. For us, we could have obviously we could have jumped above Bournemouth um, and even pulled Barnet back a bit. Uh, but what was pleasing is we didn't lose those games. Um, we didn't lose any ground on them, so we kept kept within touching distance of the playoffs uh, because a loss would have obviously on the table would have hurt. But I think psychologically as well, 
it opens up more of a gap and then you're chasing a bit more. So I was pleasing. Obviously, I would have liked to have got a win, but sustaining around the pack um, and results luckily went our way and we've managed to capitalise. Yeah, we've gone away to Gateshead, a long trip to Gateshead, a long trip to Halifax on Tuesday and then facing an informed Chesterfield side. Obviously, they, they beat Torquay convincingly on the Tuesday. Uh, so to come away with seven points from that, two clean sheets, it's, yeah, very, very pleasing. We'll look at the bottom end of the table in just a minute. Uh, sadly, Yeovil, former championship side like Scunthorpe, uh, they uh, they lost their place in the National League in the week. So their relegation was already confirmed and they took on uh, Oldham at Hewish Park on Saturday. Our own Joe Pope was there to watch it. Here's Joe's thoughts on the game, followed by his chat with the older manager, David Unsworth, afterwards. So I was in attendance yesterday for Yeovil's final home game of the season and their first after officially being relegated from the National League as they took on Oldham Athletic. And it was pretty much one-way traffic throughout. Um, Oldham were very, very good. Um, Didn't have to work too hard for their win. Um, But nevertheless, as I said in my piece with David Unsworth, they put in a really accomplished performance and probably the best from an away team this season. They looked a threat throughout. Devon Green really playing well, especially in the first half. He scored the opener for Oldham, albeit with some some difficult uh, to watch defending for Yeovil Town. Um, and they got stronger in the second half. Uh, Joe Nuttall came off and they brought on Mike Fondop and he gave them a bit more of a threat uh, and a mobility uh, in the final third. Uh, and he capped it off really but all by himself. Two goals. Um, first one, really good finish, really composed finish um, after a good run from Basala Sambu. Uh, another substitute who came on and made a real impact for, for Oldham. Uh, so he scored the first and then... An absolutely brilliant goal for the second. Um, Free kick, edge of the box. And just as uh, Oldham looked like they were shaping up to take it, uh, Mike Fondop saw Grant Smith slightly not set and whipped the ball around the wall and into the top corner. Um, So Oldham, really good end to the season. Um, One more game to go. But a really, really good away performance. I saw some really good signs there for Oldham. I have been critical of them this season. Um, but I, I was impressed with real good structure. Um, they've got some experience in their side. Um, and with the quality they've got up front in the likes of Fondop and Green and Sambu um, and Reed, if they can get them firing um, and build on this season, then they're going to be in a really good position next season. As for Yeovil, well... It brings the curtain down on a really disappointing campaign um, and, you know, a 3-0 defeat in their final home game pretty much sums up the season for them. They huffed and puffed Yeovil, um, but in the end, they just did not have the quality going forward, which Oldham ultimately did. And that tells the tale of the story. So another disappointing uh, day for Yeovil and uh, a really, really good one for Oldham. David, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know what to expect from Oldham today, but 
from all the teams I've seen play at Hewish Park this season, I thought that was the best performance I've seen from the wayside. That's, that's very kind of you, thank you. Um, you know, we, we've been in good form lately. Uh, it's took a while for us to, to turn the tanker and get ourselves going uh, after a disappointing you know, season last year. Um, we've got new owners, we've got you know, a new board and, and, and we're a new club. And I think um, you know, we've finally been able to you know, put some smiles on the fans' faces, which is, which is great for us. And, and how do you reflect on your time in charge so far? Obviously you said it's taken a bit of a time yeah. to get going, but... It's ended the season really well. Yeah, so that's four wins on the bounce. Hopefully, we can get another one next next week. To, you know, to finish off really strongly. Um, it, it, it took us some time to, you know, get going. Uh, so I inherited the the team, and we were fourteenth. I didn't feel that the squad was strong enough for, for um, in that that period. Uh, so we've managed to um, we've managed to um, you know add to the squad we've managed to bring in what I think and what the staff think are, are better players than what we had when we, when we went in and slowly but surely we've we've you know we've come up with a way of playing that's got us out of danger and um, you know is, is giving us a base for next season uh, we will recruit in the summer we, you know hopefully recruit you know I don't know uh, four or five players um, into our squad and uh, hopefully hopefully we can we can have a have a challenge next year and I thought it was nice the fact that the two players I thought made the difference between the two sides the two players that not only you've coached here but coached at Everton as well Devon Green and Basala Sambu, I thought were absolutely excellent. Yeah, Giuliani as well, of course, to Everton, which is fantastic. And they, they, you know, they, everybody you know played the part today, and uh, particularly Basala when he came on, I thought it was a real handful. And you know, he's getting back to the level fitness levels that I know he can achieve. He's you know, he's he, he gets you up the pitch, he um, he works his socks off, and uh, I think you know he's going to be a real threat for us moving forward. And and going into next season, I was pleased with what I saw from Oldham today. But how do you get better? How do you push into the top seven? Well, well, we have a pre-season together, and you know we come up with a, a, a real sort of identity of way of playing that we can we can tinker over uh, pre-season. Obviously, we'll add quality players, you know, to to the squad. You know, there's a lot of there's a number of players that are out of contract in the summer, so you know, change is inevitable um, when that happens. And you know, we recruit great players uh, for the level. You know, we coach the, the living daylights out of the players and come up with a way of playing, and we create an atmosphere and an environment where you know the lads want to come to work and they enjoy each other's company and we have that team spirit and, and they're the sort of fundamentals of, of building any team really and my final point really uh, a word for the away fans brilliant following Amazing. the best of this as I said your team was the best team I've seen all season and that was the best away support oh, I've seen all your, season your words are very kind thank you well our fans travel in, in big numbers um, and their expectation is, is massive and, and, lo- and I love that um, and they were sort of tremendous today and they got soaked in the second half but um, certainly worth it when we've won you know we've won today clean sheet and that's four on the bounce so I'm sure they'll be fine and that was David Unsworth and uh, a really good job done by Unsworth uh, steadied the ship at Oldham uh, it's got them up to 60 points now uh, obviously a little bit shy for the playoffs this year but he has strengthened well and if he can do so again in the summer flow there's absolutely no reason why Oldham can't compete for the playoff places at least next season yeah, hundred um, percent. That they they should be really, as well. But I know on Yeovil, I feel, I do feel gutted um, for Yeovil really to see them go down. They're such they've got such a great fan base. I was at Hewish Park recently, and yeah, just that that little group that stands behind the goal in the standing area it makes such good noise. 
um, and everything that's going on there. So I, I, feel, I feel for Yeovil Town um, a lot. But yeah, Oldham next season, I think, probably will be one of the teams that are yeah, nailed on for, for fighting for the playoff. Absolutely. And I guess you and I feel a little bit for Sheridan, who's commentated on Yeovil so bravely week in, week out, asked all the difficult questions of Mark Cooper and, and Josh Staunton. Um, yeah, I thought Josh Staunton spoke really well. Um, after they went down, he did an interview with, with Sheridan, and yeah, he just spoke really, really well about how important what the club is and what the people, uh, the people at the club mean. And just yeah, he just spoke really, really well. It's just so tough, isn't it? Relegation is just it's just grim. I don't know if Callum's view as a player, if you experience relegation and what that feeling is like, but yeah, it must be grim. Luckily, not. We uh, I've been close when we got promoted to the National League uh, with Bournemouth in our first year. Wasn't to the last day we secured our safety. Um, we won three 0 away at Welling United. I think they'd been relegated. Um, but yeah, I think we actually defensively. I think we. I think we were maybe the fifth or sixth best defense in the league. Um, but our but our goal returns um, is what killed us. It was one of the lowest in the league. So it was close. But yeah, no. Luckily, I never do want to experience it. But yeah, I've I've been fortunate enough not to. Uh, not to have been relegated in my career. Yeah, that's career. a great record you want to keep, isn't it? <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to have another promotion. Yeah. But yeah, definitely try and keep the relegations off. You want to know about scrapping to avoid relegation each season, Flo? Talk to me, ask me the questions. I know all about it. Of course, Callum, your two seasons at Aldershot were playoff seasons, but since then it's been very, very difficult. And Aldershot have won what they call the AGM Cup on a couple of occasions where they finished in the fourth bottom position. But uh, due to, uh, I think, uh, a lack of teams one year and to Gateshead uh, being demoted, they stayed up and uh, Aldershot were very much involved in the race to avoid that fourth and final relegation place on Saturday. Prior to the game at York, I caught up with BBC York commentator David Ward. Fair to say, David. Uh, This is uh, for a game two, two matches from the end of the season. There's quite a lot riding on it for both clubs. Yeah, there certainly is. So relegation still very much up in the air, isn't there? And I think the one thing that worries me as a York City supporter is we can be brilliant, as we were just a couple of weeks ago at Chesterfield. Thoroughly deserved to win 3-1 at Chesterfield. But then three days later, we were abysmal here against Halifax. You just never know which York City side is going to turn up. Will it be the one that has taken numerous points against all the top sides of this division, or will it be the one that struggled against all the teams at the foot of the league? You can't go into this game with any confidence watching York City. I had a look doing my preparation for the game, and this is, here's the bizarre stat. The only team York have beaten between 8th and 19th this season is Dorking Wanderers at home here. Um, you have beaten a few of the bottom clubs, and you've beaten a few of the top clubs, as you say, as well, or York have. Um, to set this one up, Aldershot need a draw and York with Notts County to come in the final game will probably feel that they need to win this game I think that's right yeah York just need to better Torquay's result today and then they're safe because of the massive goal difference early in the season when York weren't winning games they're only losing by the odd goal which now has been looks as though it could be really useful but yeah York need to win this game they'll come out on the front foot will they win the game as you mentioned the record against sides mid-table lower isn't great this season um I have no real confidence that York will win this game. I know they're good enough to win this game if they do turn up, but will they turn up? That's the big question. And the York City fans, if they don't turn up, will quickly turn on them and get on their backs. It's bit, yeah, I heard it can get a little bit toxic here. It's a beautiful setup, by the way. Any of our podcast listeners that haven't been to the LNER Community Stadium, I got it right this time, 
Um, it's a great little setup. It really is. Nice pitch. Even though it's shared with rugby, it's still in good shape. Uh, and all-seater stadium, all four sides, all quite close to the to the pitch, and a, a good little setup. Um, final thing from me. I was the only one of the four of us that do this podcast earlier in the season under ASCII, having rebuilt his side that had your dark horses for the playoffs. And you were in that position. You were seventh, eighth when ASCII left, weren't you? And uh, just try and sum that whole shenanigans up. A complete and utter shambles from top to bottom. Uh, New owner comes in in the summer, immediately wanting to try and get rid of John ASCII. He was warned. Actually, he came on the radio and I told him, if you sack this man... It's the worst thing you could possibly do. Um, the supporters immediately turned against him. Now he's trying to sell the football club, or the supporters trust who own the football club were trying to find a new buyer. They couldn't get a new buyer, so he's still here. He's not attending games. Um, he still says he wants to sell the football club. Hopefully that will happen in the summer. It has to happen, whichever division York City are in, for this football club to move forward. Because as you rightly say, new ground, 8,500 all-seater, everything here is set up for this football club to be successful apart from what's happening behind the scenes. And as it does throughout football, for whatever reason, if there's mismanagement behind the scenes and chaos behind the scenes, it transmits to what's going on on the pitch, and that's exactly what's happened this season. Oh, thank you. You've summed that up really, really well. All the best uh, for, for yourself today in commentary, for York City beyond today, <laughs> if you need anything after today's game. And uh, hopefully, David, we'll see you next season. Cheers, mate. Thank All you. the best. I'm going to try and describe events from, from how I saw them and how I watch them unfold. Uh, I was at um, the LNER Community Stadium up at York for the very first time, where York were involved in it, Aldershot were involved in it, Maidenhead was still involved in it, and of course Torquay. Torquay most likely uh, to go down, um, and they were away at Altrincham. And let me tell you this, 20 minutes, half an hour into the game, when Aldershot were totally in control at York, 1-0 up, Haji Minoga on loan from Portsmouth, outstanding player. He'd headed in a Ryan Glover corner. We'd heard that Torquay were trailing at Altrincham. Aldershot, at best, only needed to to kind of match Torquay's result. And it felt very, very comfortable. But from about the hour mark onwards, everything changed. York got a penalty and stuck it away. Uh, the shot, Linnell, John Lewis. And then they got another penalty, which hit the post. But as Aldershot were trying to clear it, it came back in and Corey Jordan could only head it into his own goal. The shots went behind 2-1. Very similar time to that, Torquay got level at Altrincham and went ahead. And all of a sudden it was going through my mind. Oh, my goodness, this is going to go to the last day. Um, But then everything changed again on 91, 92 minutes. Tyler Frost off the bench for Aldershot got an equaliser. Um, and uh, down at Altrincham or up at Altrincham, they got a penalty uh, and, and that was tucked away too. Dickie, you were watching on from uh, afar. Just what did you make of it all on Saturday? And uh, ultimately, it does look as if now, barring some ridiculous seven-goal swing, Torquay, sadly, are going to leave the National League. Yeah, it does. It's going to take um, a combination of, you know, results and not just results, but, the you know, goal difference as well. They, they, we talk about goal difference potentially being worth an additional point. Um, and if your goal difference suffers the way that theirs have, you know, you, you are putting yourself um, behind the eight ball to use that uh, uh, pool analogy. And that's exactly where they are. And it, yeah, it's looking... Um, it isn't mathematically certain yet, but I think everybody knows in their heart of hearts that 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 
it's it's over for for Torquay, unfortunately. I think so. I mean, Barnet uh, were held by Maidenhead. Maidenhead got themselves what could prove to be a useful point, but the only scenario really in which Torquay can stay up on the final day is for them to beat Wrexham, uh, probably by a couple of goals, and for Maidenhead to suffer a heavy defeat at Gateshead. That's not impossible, the form that Gateshead are in when they get it right, but... um, yeah, it's a sad one. That uh, trip down to Torquay, whatever happens with Bromley, Callum, the uh, trip down to Torquay, uh, nice little weekend uh, to stay down there if you're lucky. That one's off next season, most likely. You say that. We, we went down on the Tuesday night this year and all the chip shops were shut after the game, so I didn't get to even enjoy fish and chips. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, again, another big club, um, another former league club. Um and yeah, like you said, anytime anyone gets relegated, it's it's not good. But it's not it's not just the team. It's like you, the people that work at the club, the fans, and the local area that it can suffer. Um, but in recent years, we've seen them go down and bounce straight back up, and then nearly go up again. So um, I'm sure they'll they'll want to bounce straight back again, like they did before, because. Again, with the pyramids that we've got and only one going up automatic, playoffs can be a bit of a lottery. So um but I'm sure I'm sure they'll definitely be competing at the top end of the table next year anyway. Yeah, it's a sad day for Gary Johnson. Rumours abound after Saturday's uh, games that uh, that that he might uh, look to uh, to retirement. Uh, uh, having spoken to him just six or eight weeks ago and talking about how he was already getting under his wife's feet um, during COVID. I'm, I'm not so sure Gary Johnson will be ready to throw the towel in just yet. It's worth mentioning mathematically York City aren't safe yet either. And that was something that uh, after the game, Ryan Fallerfield reminded me of when I spoke to him. Ryan, uh, you've uh, enjoyed some heady times in this league and this is uh, a little bit different, isn't it? Um, Ultimately, you took matters into your own hands. You, you got yourself a point. You'd be disappointed you didn't get all three, but you're safe, and that is a relief, isn't it? Yeah, we're not safe yet, though. Mathematically, we're not. But like, we made it hard for ourselves. We've conceded late on. Um, we should really be winning the game. Um, but, yeah, like I said, hopefully it should be done. And uh, what did you make of the game? Did you think they both were penalties? I, I didn't have the best of view of the first I, one. It was a little bit tight, wasn't it? I, I, I would say they were both penalties. Um we were we weren't great to start with. We were sloppy. Um, they all the shot ran all over us. They were out fighting us. Um, so we deserved to go in at half time, losing one nil. Um, Mikey, the manager, said to us, "We need to turn it round." Um, I thought second half, early doors, we put it on all the shot. Um, obviously, we got the two penalties. The guy's unfortunate, unfortunate to put it in his own net, but um, like I say, probably a fair result um, in reflection of both halves. Now, they say goals change games. My goodness me, atmospheres in stadium. It's ridiculous how much it's changed here and how many times today. Um, at the point you've gone 2-1 up, it was almost like, you know, I don't know, I can't quite explain it, but um, it hadn't been a good game, but it didn't matter at that point about the performance. You've got the lead and, and, and the crowd sort of played on that, didn't they? Yeah. Um, obviously, it's going to be tense in here. Um, everyone wants to stay up. The fans have been absolutely brilliant for us all season. Oh, and away, there's been a lot of long journeys. Um but yeah, they've, they've stuck by us, especially with things that have gone on out of our control. Um, but yeah, they've been absolutely brilliant. And um, like I said, they've stuck by us all season. That was York's Ryan Fallerfield talking about um, how contrasting it can be to have gone up 
you know, having having uh, gone up from the playoffs with with Harrogate just a few seasons ago, finding himself in in the battle at the wrong end of the table. Um, we've almost wrapped up Saturday's games in the National League. We didn't mention what uh, everybody, including Mark White, said was a bit of an end of season affair at Wealdstone, where it ended uh, Wealdstone two, Dorking Wanderers two, Dorking Wanderers flow. Um, are going to finish the season with at least 54 points, maybe 55 or 57. And what an outstanding achievement that is for a club the size of Dorking that, uh, you know, was only founded 24 years ago. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I'm just looking at the table now. Yeah, Dorking Wanderers, 16th. Scunthorpe, 23rd. Scunthorpe, who are like massive ex-football league club. So, yeah, it's, it's massive for them. And like we were say, you know, obviously it's sad. Those teams that get relegated for the people and the area and stuff, but it's great for Dorking that they're doing so well and then they're up there. Although I don't know how you feel about them being two places ahead of Aldershot, Rob. That must must not be great for you. <laughs> well, it's a good point, and and, I, and I've already I've, I've already exchanged messages with Mister Mark White. I said, thankfully, all we've got to fight for on the last day of the season is who can finish higher out of Dorking and Aldershot. Uh, Aldershot will take on Altrincham next week, but Dorking are at home to already relegated Scunthorpe. So I wouldn't bet against Dorking winning that one. Um, as somebody that commentates for BBC Surrey, and I hear you in my ear each week, and uh, Chris and, and Tom that cover Dorking, I'm delighted that all three teams uh, will at least be at this level next year. Of course, we might lose uh, Woking. Wrapping things up with the other games, uh, Eastleigh nil, Solihull Moors nil. Uh, McHomer sent off for Eastleigh in that one. And I don't think we've particularly talked about Dagenham Redbridge nil, Halifax nil. Um, Dagenham and Redbridge just three points ahead of Halifax as a result of that draw. So perhaps a better draw for them. But as Callum already hinted, uh, underachievement again for Dagenham Redbridge this season um, as well as last we just got a couple of minutes left with you guys. Um, Callum, uh, looking ahead uh, looking ahead to the playoffs, obviously you don't know what position you will finish in yet um, and you don't know who you'll be playing. But uh, um, how have you got on against the other likely playoff teams in the course of the season? Uh, obviously yesterday against Chesterfield was a good result. Um, Woking, we've played home and away. Uh, they beat us both times. Um, Barnet, we drew away. Uh, I think we lost at home. Um, and then Boreham Wood, we beat them away and drew at home. So mixed, sort of mixed results there. Um, and obviously Notts County undefeated against them, actually. Both games, home and away, we drew. Um, but it just comes down to who produces on the day or the night. Um, one-off games, a bit like a cup, it is a cup game. Um it might it might be something like a set piece or a mistake that decides the game and it could go to penalties. So I think we've got good form going into the playoffs, which will give us confidence. Um finishing the season on a strong note going into those games. Um but it's yeah, it's not gonna be easy. Whoever, like you said, whoever we end up playing against, um if we do manage to do it, it's going to have to be the hard way. Uh, but Gr- Grimsby did it last year. So, again, it's um, it's going to be tough. Like you said, you're looking at all the teams in there. They're all going to be saying the same thing. They're going to say, Look, if we get into the playoffs, we can win. Especially if you have those home games straight into the semi-finals. Um, but we've got, we've got a great togetherness and belief 
down at Bromley in our squad. Something that I've not seen for a long time. Probably the changing room is probably one of the best ones I've ever been involved in, to be honest, in terms of the characters, which counts for a lot, especially when they're in tough situations. Um, it's not always going to come down to the footballing ability. Um, so, yeah, we just got to stick together, um, focus on us. That's all we can do, really. And Flo, quick word from you. We've got a minute or so left. Uh, Woking, hopefully finishing in that third place for you, as we say. But if you do have to go away from home, 12 wins on the road for Woking this season. Only Notts County have got more. Yeah, I think think I'd fancy Woking still, even if they didn't get third. But imagine if all this season Woking had been in third and fourth, third and fourth the whole time, and then they get fourth, and then they go out in the quarterfinal of the playoffs. It'd be such a gut punch. So I'm really hoping... I really do think getting third is so important. What I'm a little bit worried about as well is Woking played Notts County recently lost 3-0. So Notts County are the favourites, aren't they, to get promoted? And it's such a shame, it's such a shame that Notts County and Wrexham don't just go up automatically because I think the rest of them, Chesterfield, Woking, Barnet, Bromley, Boreham Wood, it would be a real be a real great battle between those. And I think it would be tough to call. But yeah, Woking just got to, I think, keep plugging away to try and get third. We've got two games left. Halifax, Hollyhill Moors, go try and get results there. Good luck to both teams, to Woking and Bromley. And hopefully I'll see at least one of you guys at Wembley. We'll be there for the podcast as always. Flo, thanks for joining us uh, for the first time. Thanks for having me. Loved it. And uh, Callum, great to see you again. All the best in the playoffs. Nah, thank you very much. I was just going to say, if Wrexham didn't go up this year... With the power they've got behind them, it probably would have been better for the league's chances of getting free up automatic. But they're off now, so they're not, they're not going to probably they're not going to be looking back. So we have to do it the hard way. <laughs> okay, Dickie and I are going to look at the the battles at the top and the bottom and the playoffs in the National League North and South now. And Dickie, as it's just me and you, you get to go first with the North this week. Um, let's look first of all at the title race. We still don't know. Who is going to prevail, do we? Kingsland or Fylde? They both won on Saturday. Fylde have obviously got two games left rather than one, so it's probably advantage them. But uh, tell us how they got on on Saturday. Yeah, it is going to go down to the final day in the National League North. Um, both Kingsland and Fylde had um, impressive wins yesterday. Kingsland held on to their top spot. They um one three one away at Darlington, who I think their playoff hopes are, are all but gone now. Goals from Ben Stevens, Josh Coulson on target yet again, uh, centre half so dangerous from set pieces, and Gold on Mateo as well. Um, two nil by half time, three nil just after half time. Ben Little got a penalty back for Darlington with roughly fifteen minutes or so remaining, but Kingsland were fairly comfortable. Um, I guess you could say the same thing about AFC Fylde as well. They absolutely steamrolled Leamington by five goals to one. Luke Conlon got them um, rolling with a goal in the first minute and then Nick Horton took over a penalty in the 38th minute. He scored another three minutes later, so 3-0 at half-time. He scored twice more in the second half, so he took the match ball home four goals. That takes him to the top of the goal-scoring charts in the National League North, ahead of Glenn Taylor. Dan Turner did get a goal back for Leamington, but merely a consolation on a day when, unfortunately for the breaks, their relegation from National League North was confirmed. And Dickie, uh, Chester, of course, we mentioned this the other week, they're in a, a battle with themselves, really, for third place, aren't they? Uh, how did they do in terms of their warm-up for the playoffs that are, they're definitely going to have one home semi-final in? 
Yeah, Chester kept themselves in in good shape for uh, for the playoffs with uh, a one nil win. Uh, sorry, a one nil win away at Kettering. Darren Stevenson with their goal in the seventy fourth minute after Kettering had been reduced to ten men. Gary Store, a very experienced player for Kettering, but um, he saw a second yellow after 56 minutes and that was enough to give Chester the advantage that that, that they took advantage of um, so yeah they are safe in third place they're going to be playing a home semi-final on the 7th of May just waiting to see who that's going to be I should just come back very briefly to the to, to filed as well because we spoke about their game in hand um, they play their game in hand away at Curzon Ashton on Tuesday evening and our very own Luke Edwards has told me today he'll be at that game so hopefully we'll get some um, uh, Feedback from that game and 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 whether Fylde have been able to retake top spot ahead of the final day. I think before we go any further and look at the other games, something incredible is being set up, isn't it, for potentially the final day of the season in the National League North. There will be one or two midweek games that affect the uh, the battle for the playoffs. Everybody down to Darlington, who are in thirteenth place at this point, still have a possibility of making the playoffs. Looking at the final day fixtures, because I don't think necessarily three points. If one of those teams take three points, it means somebody else doesn't. But yes, in, in ultimately, I suppose it means that the possibility is still there from a glance at the table. Um, it is just ridiculously tight. I mean, Gloucester were in a playoff place a week ago, and they're 11th now. And... You know, it is ridiculously tight. We've got two teams on 67, three on 66, three on 65, and then Darlington on 64, um, which is where the, the, the line is. And, you know, even teams like Alfreton, who are actually in the playoffs and in fourth place, home advantage in a eliminator at the moment on 68 points, they could be out of them if they don't. They're not guaranteed, no, no. No. I, I, can't, I can't ever remember a playoff race being this open with only one or two games left. And to go up, as you say, as high as fourth place, fifth place, um, you know, they're, they're nicely in there at the minute, but nothing's guaranteed come the final day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just mentioned Alverton there. Alverton in fourth, um, you know, they they cemented that fourth a little bit more firmly yesterday with a 1-0 win over Blythe, which didn't help Blythe's chances of survival. Blythe had a really good 2-0 win away at Farsley Celtic in midweek, but then didn't, you know, capitalise on it with another result yesterday. Alfreton in fourth place. Alfreton play Bradford Park Avenue on Wednesday evening. That's another one of the, 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 the games in hand that needs to be played before the final weekend. Bradford Park Avenue are in the bottom four, but could still make it out with two wins and if other results go their way. So that's not a given either. Um, I think there are only two midweek fixtures in the National League North, but there's literally so much riding on them that, you know, I'm going to be all over those fixtures. Absolutely. And what about Buxton? I remember Luke saying to you a couple of weeks ago, Dickie, do you think Buxton could possibly still make it into the playoffs? You said, yeah, they absolutely could. And they did their uh, prospects no harm at all with uh, a home win against Brackley, who were so awfully out of form uh, and probably one of those sides you look at and they really risk dropping out of the playoff race for the first time on the last day of the season. Yes, they do. Um, and Buxton did lose their unbeaten run a couple of weeks ago at Kidderminster, but they've got straight back on the horse. Um, really good result from them yesterday. I think I tipped them to be the, the play or, or the, the promoted side that finished the highest. And at one point in the season, it was looking like that was an absolutely terrible prediction. And, and you know, I do specialise in terrible predictions at times, but the, the run of form <laughs> they've put together... 
once they've got to grips with this division under a new manager, Craig Elliott, has been sensational. Um, it, it, they damaged Brackley Town's playoff hopes yesterday. You're exactly right. Joe Ackroyd with a goal in the sixth minute. Diego Di Girolamo, he's been like a, a, a man reborn under, under Craig Elliott. He was out of favour under previous managers. But Connor Kirby then with a third goal. All the scoring done by half-time. Glenn Walker got one back for Brackley. But uh, yeah, Buxton into seventh place. Um, Brackley are still in the playoff positions, but again, it is just so tight. They really cannot afford a slip next weekend or they will be out. Yeah, and the one team that's currently sat in a playoff place had their hopes a little bit dented by your side, Telford, didn't they, on uh, on Saturday, where Telford got themselves a very credible point. Yeah, they did. Um, it was, um, you know, strange atmosphere at Telford. Final home game of a season where... We are being relegated, so, um, but it was buoyed very much by the the, the Scarborough fans. Two hundred and forty-one of them, I would say, probably a good two hundred of them in fancy dress to make the most of the day. And um, actually, Telford found them pretty quiet until they scored. Um, uh, Dom Tier came off the bench to score in the seventy-third minute, and it looked like they were going to be having the party day out that they'd planned for. But uh, yeah, Montel Gibson equalised ten minutes later for Telford, a point. I think definitely deserved. I think if any team was going to edge it, it probably was Telford. They tested Joe Cracknell in the Scarborough goal um, more often. I think Scarborough were missing Michael Coulson. Um, he's a very important figure for them. Um, but yeah, we, we've um, weakened their grip on a playoff place just a little bit. So I suppose we kept it interesting for other teams. We certainly did. One team that on 90 minutes on Saturday the chances would have been very slim and very mathematical that they could still make the playoffs. But by a minute later, they tucked home a penalty in all three points, and that was Chorley Dickey against Peterborough Sports. And they now sit in eighth place, just one point outside uh, those playoffs with the best goal difference amongst any of those teams. Yeah, they're clinging on in there. Chorley are a, a resilient side. You know, they they've had some results of late uh, a bit up and down but they do keep hanging on in there Peterborough safe in mid-table they're not going up they're not going down it's been a very creditable season for them but it looked like it was um, you know going to be possibly Chorley looking at at being outside of the playoffs and and having no chance going to the final day Jack Sampson showing his strength with a 91st minute penalty for Chorley and yeah they, they stay in touch with it Certainly doing another 90th minute goal that uh, uh, increased the chances of, of a playoff appearance. Happened for Curzon Ashton. They were 2 1 down at home to Boston United, but uh, uh, it was a Hall goal in the 90th minute which gave them a point. And of course, they are one of those uh, four teams that still have two games left. Yeah, Kersnachan could have a big say in um, the way the title goes. We've mentioned their game with Foyle on Tuesday evening. They go to Kings Lynn next Saturday. So they face the top two in their final two games, which is probably not the way um, the, the, the fixtures you'd want when you yourselves need the points to try and get into a playoff place. But Kersnachan making a really good um a fist of it trying to get in there. Finley Thorndike scored for Boston yesterday, 31 minutes. Uh, Tom Nixon was then sent off. Um, Tom Pierce converted a penalty, which I presume was given for the offence that got Nixon his red card. And then Billy Chadwick replied with a penalty for Boston before half time to put them 2 1 up. So 2 1 up, but down to 10 men. 
they couldn't hold out, unfortunately. Ryan Hall got the equaliser for Curzon in the 90th minute, as you say. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I've said before in the last couple of weeks, Curzon Ashton making the playoffs would be a sensational achievement, on, you know, given the, the size of the, the, the backing that they have. But they got a lot of quality in that side. They're often derided um, by other teams in this division who I think, well, not other teams, but I think other supporters of other teams, just basically because they have such a small fan base. But you know what? They punch above their weight every season. Um, and without, you know, I don't have any dog in the fight as regards the the, the title race, but I would really like to see Curzon Ashton get into the playoff places because I just think for what they've achieved in this division over the last six, seven seasons, I think it will be a crowning achievement. Yeah, an outstanding effort from them. And to complete... Uh... Uh, a triumphant uh, hang on what's the word <laughs> let's just say a trio to complete a trio of teams that improved or rescued their playoff chances uh, at 90 minutes or beyond uh, well Spennymore with uh, 89 minutes gone were sat on 63 points and that would have meant no mathematical chance at all of the playoffs but they still have an outside chance Dickie don't they thanks to uh, another goal after 90 minutes yeah, they do. Two minutes into injury time, Rob Ramshaw, um, he's not been finding the target of late, but I don't suppose that's mattered too much when Glenn Taylor has been finding it for Spennymore. But that Ramshaw-Taylor combination is so potent for them. He scored um, to take all three points from a, a long trip down to Banbury. And yeah, just keeps Spennymore in with an outside chance of it. Kidderminster Harry, is there still potentially in the fight as well. Ashley Hemmings, another quick goal for them. We, we said last week, um, I think Kidderminster have now scored in the first 10 minutes of their last seven or eight matches. They are really, really quick starters at the moment. Hemmings scored after a minute. Charlie Oliver for their opponent, Southport. He scored a penalty in the 59th minute to get it back to one each for the home side. But then Amari Morgan-Smith and Hemmings scored another goal apiece, 70th and 77 minutes. That keeps Kidderminster in the fight. And it actually keeps Southport looking over their shoulders as regards the relegation places as well. Southport go to Lamington next week, who were relegated. So in theory, don't have anything to play for, but might be able to play with a bit of freedom. Um, And if other teams below them were to collect the right combination of points and Southport were to get nothing at, at Lamington next week, there could be trouble for them. Um, it, it, they're certainly looking over their shoulders and it's, it's the Southport fans aren't happy. They feel they should be a lot further away from it than they are. Um, and so, yeah, not happy camp at Southport at the moment. They're in a dreadful run of form too. Absolutely, they are. And uh, one team that have made an outstanding effort to get themselves out of trouble and they're almost there. They may need another point on the final day, but uh, Farsley Celtic, what a terrific win for them. They put a massive dent in Gloucester City's uh, playoff hopes on Saturday. Uh, and they find themselves two places outside the relegation zone with one game left. Yeah, they do. As I mentioned, their, their 2-0 uh, defeat in midweek against Blythe. Um, two goals from Jordan Hickey there for Blythe. And, you know, you look at that and think to yourselves, oh my goodness, you know, Farsley had home advantage and they've blown that one, but they bounced back with a 2-1 win over what I think is a really strong Gloucester side. I saw them just about two weeks ago and they obliterated Telford 4-0 and looked a side who were, you know, would potentially be a threat 
if they got into the playoffs, they may not now get into the playoffs because of this result. Chris Atkinson scored for Farsley after four minutes. He's a stalwart at the club, so um, nice for him. Toby Odebaye, he got a goal back for Gloucester in the 35th minute, but Theo Williams, um, he's only uh, 21 years old. He came um, off the bench against Telford recently and, and lit up the game. He scored a few important goals for them and he got another important goal yesterday. He got the 39th minute winner. That means that Farsley are out of the bottom four going into the final weekend. Yeah, and just to wrap things up, I think we briefly touched, didn't we, on Bradford Park Avenue. They drew nil-nil at Hereford. Hereford uh, bang mid-table and already safe and and uh, Bradford uh, Park Avenue, well, they really need uh, snookers now, don't they? They need to win those final games and then uh, the two final games and then hope. But uh, their goal difference might even cost them then. Um, but uh, it's going to be some last week in the National League North. As Dickie mentioned, two games in midweek. That will narrow down who can do what, won't it? But uh, there's not going to be many fixtures next Saturday, Dickie, that don't have something riding on them. No, I think the majority of them are. Typically, the one of the ones I'm going to, which is Telford away at Boston, is one of the ones that doesn't. So, But that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, Bradford could have done with the extra points yesterday from that game at Hereford. Hereford, they've made some um, moves towards next season. Um, they have appointed former Swindon Town and Birmingham City player Paul Caddis as their new manager. He takes over on the 1st of May. Um, and I should also just when we're talking about the North, I should just give mention to the two sides um, that have won their respective divisions and look likely to join the North next season. South Shields, they've been promoted from the Northern Premier League, although they had a blow yesterday with their manager, Kevin Phillips, um, announcing that he was stepping away from the club. Some discussion about whether that's to do with potentially the budgets um, and and not being competitive enough for, for him to strengthen the way he wants to. His name has also been linked in a few quarters with the job at Solihull Moors. Now, there isn't a job at Solihull Moors because Neil Ardley is in post, but whether, you know, that is just rumour. I think Kevin Phillips does still live in the Midlands. So there's, you know, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying there's no smoke without fire, you know, but it's it's going to be one to keep our eyes on that one. Um, Tamworth won the Southern Premier Central as well, so they were promoted as well. They're very likely to go into the north. Um, and then we've got playoffs in those respective divisions coming in midweek. So we'll get a better idea who else might be joining the north very shortly. Brilliant stuff, Dickie, as always. Just before we talk about the National League South, friend of the podcast and friend of mine, I just want to say... Huge congratulations to Neil Smudger, Smudger Smith, the former uh, Bromley manager, who last season, when he took over at Cray Wanderers, he kept them up in the Isthmian Premier on goal difference. Well, 12 months uh, further on, Smudger, well done. You've got Cray Wanderers into the playoffs by goal difference this time. Uh, a two-all draw on Saturday was good enough for them. So, Ebsfleet... As we know, hit the 100-point mark a week or so ago, but uh, they're still on it, Dickie, aren't they, uh, after defeat um, on uh, Saturday? Yes, they are, yeah. Um, Ebsfleet um, went away to Welling, um, and I don't think this was a result many would have predicted, but, yeah, they, they went 
fell to defeat by three goals to two. They haven't felt an awful lot of pain this season at Ebbsfleet, but they did yesterday. Stefan Payne, a hat-trick for Welling. Um, he uh, replied to Darren McQueen's opener uh, to level the scores at one before half-time. He then scored twice more. Josh Wright did get a goal back for Ebbsfleet in the second minute of injury time. But um, yeah, always a nice little feather in the cap of a team to think that you've um, you know beaten the 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 team that eventually finished as champions. Um, and in terms of um, Welling and, you know, their their league position, um, 17th, 52 points. I think that just about keeps them, well, they're well clear of the relegation places. So, uh, yeah, nice end to the season for them. Yeah, they finished a little bit stronger and uh, a little bit more respectably after an underachieving season. We know already that Dartford are going to finish in second place. And they did get a win to keep themselves finely tuned for those playoffs against one of the other playoff chasing sides, likely to be in them, not mathematically certain, but almost there. St Albans City got their obligatory uh, Jeffers goal, Sean Jeffers goal in the 72nd minute. But either side of that, goals from Carruthers and Foncao gave Dartford a 2-1 home win. So they're up to 82 points. Ebbsfleet going to win the league by around about the 18-point mark, which is an outstanding achievement. And then you've got a battle uh, for for Woking and Chesterfield in the National League. Replace them with Oxford City and Chelmsford in the National League South. Um, I had a spy watching uh, Chelmsford yesterday, although... uh, uh, he didn't probably wish he'd made the trip to Hemel Hempstead. He wasn't impressed by pretty much anything he saw on the show, uh, on show, and that was uh, uh, Chelmsford Dave Winfield's dad, John, who's a mate of mine. Uh, that one ended nil-nil. Um, and uh, uh, as far as Oxford City are concerned, they couldn't put their stamp on third place either because uh, they were held by uh, Haven and Waterlooville, Dickey. Uh, both goals coming quite late in that one. Yeah, they did. Um, and, and just a minute apart as well, um, Alfie Potter, who is a former Haven't player, I believe he scored their um, one of their goals in that famous 5-2 um, FA Cup defeat at Anfield against Liverpool a few years ago. He put them ahead in the 82nd minute. But uh, yeah, Mo Fall, who else on target for Haven't just a minute later? And that one finished 1-1. Oxford's goal difference keeps them in third and it's I think it's too much of a goal difference to overturn for Chelmsford. So if Chelmsford are going to do it, they've got to win their final game and hope that Oxford slip up. Absolutely. And just while we focus briefly on that uh, battle for that vital third place in the National League South, just a quick look ahead to see who those teams have got on the final day. So Chelmsford are at home to Taunton and Oxford City are away to Bath. So both teams on 78 points going into their final game. Uh, Fifth in the table are Braintree and uh, they put a dent in the playoff hopes of Eastbourne Borough, been in the playoffs for much of the season, Dickie, uh, with a 2-0 home win, bouncing back to form Braintree. Yes, indeed. Yeah, um, um, goals um, in our, in each half. Ansu Jane with them uh, the first, just on the stroke of half time, and then Zach Bradshaw got the second in the sixty third minute. They then had to survive the last twenty five minutes down to ten men. Um, a, a second yellow card for Kyron Clements 
in the 65th minute meant that they finished the game with 10 men, but they did see that one out to um, keep hold of a playoff position or, or, or keep themselves cemented in there. And yeah, a, a bit of a blow for Eastbourne, that one. Um, you know, two goals, quite a lot to overturn. You know, I don't know how they went about their business in the in those last few minutes, but when the opposition's down to 10, you might have thought they would have had a go. Um, but yeah, not enough. And of course, Eastbourne, with only the one game left, can't make the playoffs now. Uh, that was the end of their playoff hopes. So disappointing day for them. Worthing, just above them, uh, had three games left going into Saturday's uh, matches and they only needed a point to secure the playoffs, but they didn't get it. They lost 3-2 at uh, Taunton, despite having a two-goal lead in the 43rd minute. But uh, penalties just before and just after half-time. And then another goal, the winning goal on 90th minute, meant that uh, Ross Stern, another name, another blast from the past, uh, completed his hat-trick. Uh, and a fantastic win for Taunton, uh, another side who uh, have uh, had mixed form this season, but uh, are going to finish bang mid-table, neither going up or down. And then in terms of that final playoff position, well, it's likely to go to St Albans and Worthing, and the only two teams who can do anything about it, who've got two games left, to Haven't and Waterlooville and Farnborough. They are six points behind, two games uh, behind, uh, and they'd have to have a couple of big wins, wouldn't they? And then hope, really, uh, to, to get in them. Um, we've already touched, of course, on Havant's game. Uh, as for Farnborough on uh, Saturday, uh, they got a win. They did the best they could. They got a 3-0 win against Dover. I know it's a much depleted Farnborough side at the moment. I think, ultimately, Dickie, that run of so many games to catch up has probably cost them. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I say they they did get the job done yesterday. Mason Bloomfield uh, and Kevin Locke had them two 0 by half time, and then a third goal added by Salim Saeed in the second half. But yeah, um, when you've got a lot of games to play um, close together towards the end of the season, it does just increase the pressure. You know, you haven't got that recovery time in between time. Um, I guess sometimes training sessions that would be held have to go um, by the by because you're actually physically playing games um, and yeah it looks like it might be just too much of a, an ask for them but still a, a really really good season back at this level for Farnborough if they don't make it I still think they can look back on the season with a lot of pride as to how they've performed and then looking at the bottom end of the National League South again it's so tight everybody's scrambling but a lot of those teams down the bottom have got at least two and in Concord's case, three games to go. So the picture's not too clear. The only thing that is clear after Saturday's games is, unfortunately, we do have our first team confirmed uh, as going to drop. And that is Hungerford Town after a few seasons of overachieving to stay at that level of football, Dickie. Uh, sadly for them, uh, a one-all draw at home to Dulwich Hamnet wasn't enough, was it? No, it wasn't. And it sounds like this one might have been a, a slightly bad-tempered affair as well in that there were two red cards for either side. Hungerford um, kicked off uh, the collection of the red cards. Louis McGrory seeing red after 15 minutes. They did then take the lead. Dan Roberts gave them the lead in the 67th minute. Um, but there was an equaliser from George Porter for Dulwich in the 88th minute. And then that's when the cards started 
to accumulate. Gianni Critchlow collected one for Dulwich. Uh, Curtis Angel then got Hungerford's second red card of the game. And then the goal scorer, Porter, he saw red as well. Um, they're all listed as straight reds on flash scores. I don't know how accurate that is because sometimes um, they they do gloss over the fact that sometimes they're second yellows. Um, but yeah, Hungerford had gone. Um, not um, a great point for Dulwich either. I mean, I suppose it's quite good in that they came from a goal behind with a couple of minutes left. But again, the situation they're in, um, maximum points has to be the, the the aim. Absolutely. And that could prove to be a massive point for Hacking Hay Reddin's side late on there. Um, you know, Dulwich Hamlet, they've got two games left, so they've got the opportunity to get themselves safe. They need one more win to make sure of that. Um, one of the reasons the pitch is still uh, unclear at the bottom end of the National League South is, well, it's because it is the silly season. And the three sides immediately above Hungerford Town, Weymouth, Concord and Chesson, all won. They all played at home. Uh, Weymouth beat Slough by two goals to nil, a goal in each half for them. They've got the toughest task. They're on 42 points with uh, two games left. And then Concord Rangers who, uh, well, they threatened to upset the apple cart with uh, Dartford in the week, didn't they, Dickie? Uh, but they got a 2-0 win against in-form Hampton and Richmond. Uh, first half and second half goals there for them. They have three games left and they're on 43 points. It may not be totally in their control, but they've not thrown in the towel yet. They are still going. And then Chessant took on Bath City. Not too much for them still to play for. And they got the the, the the win as well. Again, with a goal in each half, either side of a Wilson goal for Bath. But my goodness me, Dickie, those sides at the, bot, at the bottom, they are literally battling for their lives. They're fighting for their lives down there. They absolutely, they are. And I, I just, Concord Rangers have had an absolutely sensational week. I mean, they've had such a big pile up of fixtures which has distorted the bottom of the table somewhat you know I don't know whether people are looking at, at them and, and looking at where they were in the league and thinking look there's no way Concord Rangers are going to pick up the kind of points that they need to at the end of the season to get out of trouble you know what they're having such a good go at it um, a 1-0 win away at uh, 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 a 1-0 win against Dover then in midweek they had that 3-2 victory over Dartford as you say which was um, uh, two goals from uh, from Lewis Manor in that game and and then another one yesterday, beating Hampton and Richmond, a side who've been in good form as well. Ricky Modest with the first goal and then the second from Jack Thomas. Yes, they've got three more games to play. They're playing Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday of this week. So there's a minimum amount of rest. But I would imagine after those three wins, they must be running on adrenaline now. And, you know, they're giving themselves a real opportunity. Yeah, it's going to be an incredible finish. I'll have to have a little look at the, uh, the, the, the the games in midweek and see if I might be able to get to one of those National League South uh, games. Um, the, the one game we haven't covered involved two sides who were mid-table and very healthy mid-table, two sides who, who've amassed uh, more than, uh, uh, well, the high 50s and 60 points, uh, and that's Tunbridge Angels and uh, Chippenham. They played out a, a two-all draw, Dickie, but it's, it's worked off in our cap to both of those sides who... Uh, well, well clear of trouble and Tunbridge Angels, you know, even flirted with the idea of a place in the playoffs, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose, yes, there is an excitement in being involved in a relegation battle, but it's not one, it's not It's not a good stress, as they say, it's very definitely a bad one. Um, uh, you know, being safe in mid-table 
it isn't, you know, everybody wants to be involved in the playoffs if you can. But if you can't be there, then being safely ensconced in mid-table so you know where you're going to be next season and can start your planning is as good a place as any. Yeah, uh, a 2-2 draw yesterday. Joe Turner putting Tunbridge into the lead. Uh, Owen Windsor then equalised before half-time. Kane Bradbury put Chippenham 2-1 up um, and it took then an equaliser from Jamie Fielding to get a point for the Angels to take back home to Kent with them. Great stuff, Dickie. Great fun rounding up as ever. It's good every week in this league, but as we get right down to the business end uh, with regards to titles and playoffs and and, and promotion and relegation, um, it's more exciting than ever. Have a have a good footballing week, uh, listeners. Um, Dickie, thanks for joining us as ever. No, you're very welcome, Rob. Great to see you. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on your favourite podcasting platform so that this podcast is delivered to you at whatever time of night Luke finishes editing it. Um, look out for it, of course, always on Twitter at NL Fulltime. We're also on Instagram with that one. Uh, and uh, yeah, Dickie, some fantastic games uh, to come in midweek and I'm just looking at them and I'm just wondering whether I might be able to get myself to Dulwich Hamlet against Concord on Tuesday we'll have to see about that one uh, will you get to a game in the week? Um, I'm just having a think about what I'm doing in the week um, possibly not, I've been asked if I could get to Bradford Park Avenue and Alfreton on Wednesday but unfortunately it's a little bit out of range but um, no, it had crossed my mind to maybe try and join Luke at uh, Curzon National on Tuesday. Um, still kicking that one around. But uh, yeah, I, even if I'm not at one, I'm going to be watching from a distance and, and, and glued to it because, as I say, it, the picture can be changed going into next Saturday by what we see in midweek. Yeah, fantastic. And, uh, you know, just probably the one division of the three that's uh, the most closest to sewn up, but not quite mathematically, is the National League itself. But uh, I'm sure there'll still be a twist or two to come. Um, have a good footballing week, everybody. Thanks again for listening. And we'll speak to you next weekend to wrap the whole thing up. Play the theme tune. <laughs>